0: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: So now the question is is if I need to do the will of the Lord, and those four things saying the name of the Lord, prophesying, casting out demons, and doing miracles have I'm nothing more than a lawless person, even though I did these religious things. What would be the will of the Lord? In your margin, you're going to write down John chapter 6 now and verse 40. John 6, verse 40. And let's flip over to there. John 6, verse 40. So now the question is, is what is the will of the Lord specifically in my salvation? All right. God's will is for me to be saved. I get that. But what do I need to do? What is the will of the Lord for my salvation? John six forty. Here's what you read. For this is the will of my father. Remember how that connects back? What's the will of the Father? This is the will of the Father. That everyone, and that would include those that are reading and hearing and seeing this, if you behold the Son through His Word, you are looking at. The, you can't see Him now because He's resurrected into heaven. You could see Him in the days of, of, when John had uh, written this. The point of the matter is He was visible then. Now you see Christ. Christ then was the living Christ. Now you see the written Christ, but it's all Christ. And I will build that case a little bit later on this morning. So it goes on to say here, if you behold the Son, and then it says, and believes in Him, will have eternal life. So what is the will of the Father? That you believe in Him. What is the result? You will be saved. You will have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up, who up? The one who believes in Him on the last day. So that means that you have a resurrection looking forward to, to look forward to in your life. Believe in Him. Stay with me in verse 40. Notice what it doesn't say. It says that everyone who beholds the Son and behaves will have eternal life. Nope. Everyone who names the name of the Lord, prophesies, does, uh, casts out demons, and then does miracles, will have eternal life. No. It says whoever believes. It doesn't say whoever behaves and believes. It doesn't say whoever behaves and believes and stops there. It says whoever believes and behaves. Nope. It only says believes. And here's the operative object. In him will have everlasting life. So look up here for just a moment. I plead with every one of you. The very first step for you to really understand what the will of the Lord is, is for you to trust Christ as your Savior. And so by doing Romans 12, 1 and 2, it also started out implying brethren means that you're saved. So the first step is to trust Christ as Savior. So now you might ask me back and say, "Hey, Pastor, what do I do now to trust Christ as my Savior? Well, I'm not going to backload the gospel by telling you have got to be baptized by immersion, keep the commandments, join a church, stop your smoking, cussing, drinking, all that stuff. No, I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's the context of John. Believe that Jesus Christ is God. And now believe in Him means you take Him in His word. You believe what He says when He says trust in Him. So I take Him in His word. I'm going to do what he tells me to do and I'm going to take my faith and I'm going to will my faith by placing it in Jesus Christ in him alone. Now, you could do it through a prayer as long as you're not depending upon the act of praying that gets you into heaven. It is a volitional choice where you're transferring your trust into Jesus Christ. So it's not just enough to know that salvation is by faith. It's not just enough to know that you should trust Christ as Savior. It is you willfully placing your faith alone in Christ. So that is step one. So those that might be listening to this and you're wanting to know God's will and you have not placed your faith alone in Christ and done a lot of good social deeds or a lot of religious deeds, you still will not fully grasp nor be able to then perform the will of God until you have trusted Christ as Savior. And I, I wish I wasn't up at this pulpit so much. I wish I was in your backyard lanai uh, and putting my arm around you and just saying, please, my friend, please place your faith in Christ. The consequence of not is I'm not doing that as horrible in hell, but the practical consequence is that you're kind of like a... You're like a leaf in a windstorm. And like a leaf in the windstorm of life, you're going to blow everywhere and you're going to want the best for your life, but you'll never fully discover it. You might accidentally hit on it here or there, but you'll never know, never know, is this really what God's will is for your life. So submission begins with... All right, Lord, I'm trusting in you as my Savior. Let's look to number two. We're only going to give you three today and three next week. You've got to get all of these because these are the only six that are found, all right, that are specifically saying this is the will of God. So number two is, what is God's will for my life? God's will for my life is to be spirit-filled, to be spirit-filled, all right? Now, some of you might not understand what that means. So let me read the passage here slowly, and I'll kind of take you through it, and then I'll explain what spirit-filling is. And it's interesting because in order now, we're going to be saved. And I like to say, once you trusted Christ as Savior, you have the Spirit within you. Now you have to be filled by the Spirit. What does that mean? So let's look in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what you read. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now when I read that phrase alone, do not be foolish, in some translations it says, do not be ignorant, or I would have you not to be ignorant, brethren. When I read those phrases, and it's found a lot, you're going to find that that's implying that you and I can be ignorant. If it says, don't be ignorant, don't be foolish, don't be stupid, don't be without knowledge in this, it tells me that I have a propensity to miss this. And he's reminding us, don't be foolish in this, you better get it. And then he says, understanding what the will of the Lord is. So he says, you better understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's an injunction to all of us. So then he starts out by saying, all right, what is it? He says, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And when you read that, Don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You might say, Why, Why would it throw in that, Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the That seems so weird to put that in there. That's kind of like a major statement against drinking and getting drunk. Well, I do think it's part of all of that, but I think it's it's more of an analogy so that we would understand what being filled with the Spirit might look like. The people that he's writing this to are coming out of pretty much a debauched life, very similar to what we might see people in the world here today. They were just bombarded with alcohol. You would see the phrase mixed drink in wine in the Old Testament. The mixed drink would be... Much more potent alcohol, wine in the, new t- in the in Scripture was a lot less potent than what it is today. So he'd be saying, "Don't be drunk with wine," implying that even if it had a less of a recipe in wine in the Bible days, by drinking much wine, it would then produce an effect on your thinking because it's putting chemicals in your body that will alter the chemical structure that will then affect your thinking, your brain, that will affect your mobility and your functionability, etc. So he says, don't be drunk with wine. When you have the alcohol in you, It will affect you. It will control you. I like the better word. It will influence you. In other words, you will be different because of having that wine. Then it says, why, if you're drunk with wine, why it's bad? It says, that will lead to dissipation. Now, I never use the word dissipation. So I had to do this scripture search, this word search on dissipation in in, in Greek writings and here. And the basic answer I can give you to make it simple for us is, that leads to self-destruction. That when we're drunk with wine, there is a direction that we go into that becomes self-destructive. And of course, when we destruct, since we don't live on an island all by ourselves, we are connected to other people. When we self-destruct, the people around us are being influenced, all because we've drunk much wine that has now affected us. That's the drinking of wine. And this message isn't about don't drink wine as much. Get it when you, you read between the lines, of course. But the emphasis is, but be filled with the Spirit, which then means what is filling means. Well, when you look at the word filled, you're going to see through scripture that when it says be filled or they were filled with something, it became very outward. There was a manifestation of an influence that was now within them that changed them on the outside. So being filled with the spirit isn't so much as having the spirit resident in you as much as having the spirit dominant in you. You cannot have him dominant in you until he's resident in you. So the first step is trust Christ. Now the Spirit comes inside of you, Ephesians 1.13. So now you have the Spirit within us, so now He's resident. But having Him resident in us doesn't mean that He's dominant in us until we do a Romans 6, when we then yield to the Spirit. Now when we yield to Him, that dominance takes over, that influence takes over, and hence we have the word filled. I know that may be a little heavy for you, so let me bring it back. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, you know, old, uh, I don't want to mention a name because you may think I'm thinking about a person, but let's say old uh, McGillicuddy, since I don't know anybody like that. Old McGillicuddy, he's got so much anger, he's just filled with rage. What do you think I mean by that? He is influenced by rage. Alcohol influences what we do. So now spirit filling, yielding us to the spirit, influences us that we become different. I wish I had the time to unpack this just to show you in the life of Peter what it meant. You can see when he was very close to the Lord, he was very much influenced by the Lord. When he was further from the Lord, he was less influenced and his behavior was so weird and different and less powerful. He was kind of like, if power means dynamite, he was a dud kind of a thing. He was like that. Then, when he trusted Christ to Savior, the spirit of God came in, in Acts chapter one. He was so different because now you have the spirit of God, Christ, in him, so influencing Him for the Lord. So we want to be spirit-filled. Now let's go back to the passage, because if the will of the Lord is for me to be spirit-filled, what would be the byproduct? How would I know that I'm spirit-filled? You go to a lot of churches, they're going to say immediately you're going to speak in some unknown language and they make a big deal over that implying that if you don't speak in this language, you don't have the filling of the Spirit, that means you're not saved and they then almost tie the two together. Where in Scripture, it never, never does that. All right, Here's what it says would be a byproduct of someone who is doing the will of God by being filled by the Spirit, yielding to Him. This is the byproduct. Go back to the passage. It'll tell you. A number of things here. It says... Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, for a while, it said, okay, how do I speak to someone in a psalm? I guess I could read them scripture, you know, read a psalm, which is nothing more than a song in the Old Testament or a hymn in our hymn books. And it says in hymns and spiritual songs. So how do I speak in a song? So I looked up the word speak, and I'm going to try to simplify it for us. And that is, it's, it'd be like the word communicate. So in other words, if I'm spirit-filled, I'm going to communicate with one another with psalms, perhaps words of the Bible, hymns, very similar to that. I don't want to divide up too much here. So in other words, I want to communicate to one another spiritual truths, spiritual matters, words of encouragement, words of instruction, words of direction, words about Christ that will bring praise and glory to Him. I want to be communicating to that if I'm filled with the Spirit. So God says, number one, be saved number two be spirit filled how do I know I'm spirit filled it'll automatically happen my communication will be a whole lot different with other people and you can open that up in a lot of different areas so singing would be one alright let's go a little bit further so I'm communicating by speaking and then singing making melody with your heart to the Lord so I'm communicating in song and word I'm communicating in song and word so what's the first sign of spirit filling my songs, my music, my heart, my communication will immediately be different when I'm filled with the Spirit. So not just when I get saved, folks, I can be saved and still not look much different than before I was saved. Like Lazarus who is dead, he comes out of the tomb and he still has his grave clothes on him. He was dead, he's now alive again, but he still has grave clothes. I was spiritually dead, I became alive in Christ by faith, but I still have some of the grave clothes of my old nature, my old self on me. So now I yield to him and I'm cleaning myself up. Let's go a little bit further in the passage. Then it says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ to God. So another sign of spirit filling is I'll be saying thanks for all things. Always. I'll have a thankful heart, a grateful spirit, all the time, seeing that whatever happens, God has a purpose in this thing and I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to see that God used you to add value in my life. You criticize, you, you cut down, you gossip. You, whatever you might do negatively, God is still going to use that. So I'm thankful for what I can gain from the Lord through all of this. It's a character building time. All of you could see whatever crud you might get from other people that God permits in your life, it's to build character. And when that happens, that you're still better because of it than you were without it. Even the trial of our faith is more precious than gold. So we can say thank you. So I can sing and communicate with songs in my heart because the Lord, I now can say thanks because I know He's in control. He doesn't make junk. Everything is for His glory anyway. Whatever He does is because He loves me. He didn't just love me to pay for my sin. He also loves me enough to stay in my life to build me into the likeness of Christ. So I can say thanks, but that's not enough. It goes a little bit further. And then it says, even to the Father and be subject to one another. So the third sign of spirit filling is going to be subject to one another or submission to each other in the fear of the Lord. Now what would that look like if I'm going to be submissive to you? Now I have to stop because I could be here all day doing that. So let me encourage you to do this. Take the very next verse, which would be verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, then read through the rest of Ephesians 5, read through the rest of Ephesians 6, and you will see then delineated what does it mean to submit. Who do I submit to? How do I submit? What do I do when I'm submitting to one another? The rest will explain the different groups of people that we're to submit to and what that's going to look like. I just want to give you the bigger picture. If I want to do God's will, the first thing is I've got to be saved. I need to trust Christ as Savior. I need to believe in Christ. The second is, I need to be spirit-filled. And the way I'm spirit-filled comes primarily two ways. Once I'm a Christian, I totally yield to the person of Christ, who He is in my life through the ministry of the Spirit. And then secondly, I'm going to follow His Word. This gets really good, folks. Listen carefully. Listen very carefully. In this passage, it talks about spirit-filling. When I'm filled, dominated by the Spirit, these things will be in my life, and these are the things that I should be doing. That's the will of God. If I take you to Colossians chapter 3, it shifts it just a little bit. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it goes through the list of what that will look like. And the list of what it looks like in Ephesians when you submit to the Spirit... ...is the same list in Colossians when you submit to the word of God in your life. So if you want to know, ultimately, if I want to submit to God's will and the Spirit then I need to know his book. That's why here at this church, we always put a Bible over our our connection group studies and our DVDs and all of that. It's what the Bible has to say, not what some guy has to say or gal has to say. We have our quiet time. We may have devotions all over the place, devotional booklets, but it's still the Bible that's important because the more I know the word, the more accurate I'm going to know the Lord, the more I'm now going to be in the center of his will and I'll be making right decisions because I'll be so much infilled with his spirit and prompted by his spirit. Let me give you one little practical thought. Sometimes you might decide, should I buy this car or that car? Does God love Chevys more than Fords? Or does he like Hondas more than Toyotas? What does God like more? And what does he want me to have? And we pull out our hair wondering, oh God, just sit in his chair and tell me which one should I buy? Sometimes it's not about the car at all. It's all about what's the motive you want to have the car. So you can drive around in a flashy car it is it so that you can show people some particular station in life you finally arrived at. What's your motive? And then when you have the car, what will you use the car for? And how will you drive it in the community? And who will you pick up to bring to church or whatever? So a lot of it isn't so much the car, it's the motive behind it. Now where will you get all of that? When we abide in His Word, His Word abides in us, it dwells in us richly, we then become filled with the Spirit and we now demonstrate the acts of all of that and now our life changes and we have this almost instant mental governor in our life to make the right choices so folks one more time if I want to know the will of God I want to do the will of God what is his will his first will is that you be saved if you don't get that the rest of this really won't matter won't even have the power to do it number two the second is to be spirit filled so it's not just getting saved you got him resident in your life now you want him dominant in your life And for him to dominate your life, then fill means let him influence you, let him control you. And you do that not by getting feelings, not by being all excited over some music you might hear. It's going to be as I abide in his word from the inside out, the will of God from my heart happens. Well, that's just two out of six. So let me give you the third and last one for today. This one is almost like, wow, these are so sweet and so great. This one is a little more, ooh, rubber meets the road. And that is our sanctification. And next to it, put the word purity because, while well, sanctification is a big word. We've taught a lot about that in Romans 6, 7, and 8. I encourage you to get all those messages. You can download them if you want to free off our, our website. But sanctification, big term means, sanctified means to be set apart, to be made pure and holy. And I'd like to add a step because it's not just about us to be better. It's for a purpose. And that purpose is to live our life in such a way as to bring glory back to the Lord. So I am set apart. To be made pure and holy by the Lord with a purpose for the Lord. And that's what my sanctification is. Now that's the bigger picture of sanctification. In this context though, since it talks about this is the will of God, he opens it up a little bit in the area of sexuality. Or I should say um, sensuality would be a better word than sexuality. So let's go to this passage if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through verse 8. And here's what you read. It says, for this is the will of God. I hope you have your Bible open and that you're underlining every time you see that phrase. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. Do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. So what is the will of the Lord? And it says, your sanctification. So again, one more time. I say this as much love. God wants us who have trusted Christ as Savior to be sanctified. Now, to do that, Our power to be sanctified, not positionally only, that happens when we trust Christ. But practical sanctification happens when I'm filled or controlled or influenced by the Spirit of God through yieldedness to Him through by obedience to His Word. Okay, I got that. So now I'm ready to be sanctified. So now our question is, all right, in what particular area is the will of God my sanctification that God is speaking to me in and what very important area should it be in? And it's going to be in our purity. All right, let's look at the passage. What does he mean by it? There are four of them here. I think I could pick this out for you. You can maybe mark it yourself. Let's go on. It says, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality. Now, I could go through all the different Greek words. I could take you through a, a litany of passages that will amplify what poinonia means and all that pornography. But I believe that you're adult's and I believe in your own mind, you know what sexual impurity would be or sexual immorality would be. So let me make this clear in the positive note. Sex is not wrong. Sex is exciting. Sex is something that God has designed us for, to give and to receive and to enjoy for his glory. It is, be, it is to be done, though, in his context for us to have the fullness of it. Anything outside of that is not only not going to bring us fullness, but it will bring us consequences that we will um, have to experience for for all eternity, even as a believer, when we step out of that. So when I speak about this, I'm not anti-sex. I'm very pro-sex, but within the proper confines of it all, all right? So let's keep that in mind when we do that. So here it's talking about sexual immorality. So if it's a thought, you need to watch out for it. If it's on the screen, you need to watch out for it. If you're dealing with it in a relationship right now, I would say flee from it as fast as you can. Th- this may be hard for you to receive, so I-, I hope I can say it as tenderly as I can. Um, <clears throat> when I have Christians come to me uh, as pastor here, and um, they want to get married, and I'm excited for them to want to get married and t- together as believers in Christ, I usually begin to ask them, I, I, how, how do you know? How do you know this is the person God wants? And they'll go through all this. And how do you know that he is all this? And I let them do all of that. And I'm, I'm kind of listening for what they're saying, but I'm more listening for what they're not saying. I let them go through all of that, using that to gain information so I could give them good counsel. And I would hope that all of you that are deciding to get married, you just don't get to someone who gives you two little counseling sessions and out the door you go. It's, oh, you don't need any help. You've been all around the barn long enough. I pray that you get someone to go through it. Then I'll ask them this question. Um, I don't need any details, but this is going to help me as pastorally counseling you, and that is this. Are you having any any sexual intimacy with one another at this point? And you'll be surprised how that when you get the 20-somethings, and I'm not blanketing all of them, but you'll know what I mean, how many of them just have lived so long into that sex is very important, very sacred, very special, but it's also something that we want to, you know... Drink the milk before we buy the cow kind of a thing. And so they're out there doing this. And when you bring them then it's like, huh? Oh, yeah, we're with each other. We're enjoying each other. We're going to get married. We're, we're, we've saved ourselves for each other. But they're all involved in this right now. And when it's outside the confines of the covenantal relationship, of the commitment to one another and to be done right, what happens then is that they're out of the will of the Lord. Because this is abstain. What is the will of the Lord that you abstain from this? And that they haven't abstained, it, they're out of the will of the Lord, which then causes me to question: If you violated this, is it possible that maybe your choices, even on your life mate, could be under question? And so that means: Are the choices of getting married at all the right choice? And getting prepared for—have you made all the right choices to prepare for marriage to anybody for that matter? Because it's a domino effect. And so, would we, as Christians, we don't get the. The luxury, and I put that in quotes, to just trust Christ and go on with what we want and we'll sort it all out when we get to heaven. God says, no, you're, you're making a big mistake. He says, I've got a wonderful plan for your life. And it's more than just trust Christ. That's an eternal plan. But there's a, a plan now that will be rewarded later even. So it's much more. And so that's such an important part. Let me go a little bit further. Let's say that you are married and you're listening to me right now and you are involved in moral impurity, whether it's pornography or celebrating it or however far you want to go. You're out of the will of the Lord there, so there is already a chink in the armor of your breastplate where Satan is now going to come in and has come in already. And he is now scrambling up your life. And so these are not options to know the will of the Lord. They are not, I want that one, but I won't take that one. I'll do this one, but eh, a little bit later on. They are all part of a recipe for us to know the will of the Lord, for us to have the fullness of God, and ultimately for Him to get the greatest glory. So it says very clearly that we need to abstain, stop, flee from. One great counselor said this, that the seeds of a bad marriage are often planted in the moral impurity of a date life.